mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 12. We're going to be beginning this morning in verse 37. But by way of review, we're going to see that Jesus, I mean, really, we've seen it in chapter 11, but he's completely ended and put an exclamation point up on ending his public ministry. In fact, these Greeks wanted to see him and they found Philip, which was a Greek name. And then Philip found Andrew and the between they went to try to see Jesus, and Jesus said, my hour has come. And of course, we've been going through the testimony here that Jesus kept saying, what does that have to do with me? It's not my hour yet. It's not my hour yet. It's not my time yet. And we see now that when people are wanting to see him, he's saying no. His hour has come. And we want to understand this in context of what's going on in the Bible. And I want you to understand that he begins to talk to them about a seed falling to the ground. He begins to talk to them about the law of sowing and reaping. And if you are in the Bible at all, you will see that the law of sowing and reaping is all the way through the Bible. But he says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much or produces much grain. And he's referring to and gets to the point that they have rejected and rejected and put it off and decided not to listen. They are not drawing near to him and they wait till the hour is too late. Because in life, listen to me. There's an hour when it's too late. It's too late. Today is the day for salvation. I was talking with somebody, and if you listen to culturanity, salvation is just saying a prayer. Salvation, soteriology, is about being made whole, being made clean, brought back under the authority into the house of God. It's not a one-time prayer. Today is the day to surrender. Today is the day to come back into his house. Today is the day to accept the Mashiach, the Christ, the Messiah of God, and say, I am wrong. I changed my mind. I want to live for you and hear your voice and follow you. And I want to do what you have done and fall to the ground in humility and bow down and die so that you can produce much fruit through my life and make me the man or the woman of God that you've called me to be. And he's telling them, 
too late. Now, I'm not telling you that they can't later get saved, but I will tell you that sovereignly there is a time when it's too late. If you look at the, the God in the testimony of the Old Testament, bringing the entire nation out from Egypt, he told them he would. In Genesis 15, he told Abram, you're going to go down to your grave a good old age, but in the fourth generation, I will bring them out. They knew he was coming. Joseph said, keep my bones right here because God's coming to get you. And when he does, take my bones with you and bury them in our homeland that he promised us. So in other words, the grave was opened and he went with them. He told them what was going to happen. And what happened before they went down there? He told them what was going to happen. He told them not to harden your heart. He told them everything that was going on sovereignly. And he's telling us as his friends, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear. And you see in the text with Moses and Pharaoh, Moses, one drawn out. Moses is a type of us being drawn out from the world, being used by God as, as one who's crying out the oracles of God, the word of God, telling others the truth of God. And he's speaking to Pharaoh, who's a type of the devil in Egypt, which is a type of the world. And the Bible actually tells us over and over, probably four times, maybe five. I didn't go look. I'm not going to go look. You can go look that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Let my people go. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God showed a great sign, brought great burden, great pain to the whole nation. Let my people go. Please, Moses, plead with your God and have him take these, these uh, gnats away. Have him take these lice away. Have him, have him get rid of these frogs. When, Pharaoh? Tomorrow. No, today is the day for salvation. Not tomorrow. So you always seen the heart of Pharaoh that he really didn't want to listen to God. He didn't want to surrender to the authority of God, to the power of God. And then finally, the text clearly says... Instead of Pharaoh hardening his heart, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But see, he had already told Moses, you're going to go, you're going to do this, but he'll harden his heart and he won't let you go. But with a strong arm, a mighty arm, a mighty power, I will bring your tribes out. And then you have the Passover, the death of the firstborn, because God confirmed his heart to show his mighty power on the earth. To show that he doesn't need you to cooperate to fulfill his plan. But he's involved us. He's privileged us. He has come to save us and said, you can be in my house if you will receive me. But what did he do? He come to Israel. All those years later, he prophesied it would happen. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave the privilege, the power, the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. Once again, we see the same thing because he tells us, and it's nothing new under the sun. He says in Revelation 3.20 to his church, who is apostate and following men and religious practices, behold, I stand at the door and knock as a gentleman. Anybody at home? And if anybody will hear my voice, my word, and open the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. We have no ability. 
We have no right to be dining at a table with God, and yet he loves us with this great love. But he says there's a time. If you don't take his counsel, if you don't listen to his word, that you reap what you sow. You'll be confirmed. These, they hesitated. These, they waited. These, they resisted. These, they ignored. And we see that. He says, the hour is already here. It's my hour. Don't interrupt what I'm doing right now because I'm going to, is, I'm going to uh, die for the sins of the world. And there's no time for the rest of that now. I'm going to continue to do the Father's will. There's no time for your selfish acts. I'm going to do what God wants to do. Don't come to me in religion later because your heart's already confirmed. And that's a scary thing, guys and gals. It's a really scary thing. When today's the days for salvation, when God graces us with his mercy and his grace, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. He come and died for us. And we go, oh, not today, Lord. I'm busy sorting my socks. Not today, Lord. I got other plans that I want to do with my life. Not today, Lord. I'm going to stay on the throne here and do my own thing. I've got some other idols I want to chase after. Listen, this is a serious, eternal peril. And the spirit of the age would tell you, you're fine. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal at all. You're going to be okay because God, no, nobody's going to be lost except for the son of perdition. So you've got all the time in the world, the devil would say, no, today is the day to surrender, to be made whole, to decide in your heart once and for all that no matter what else goes on in life, I'm putting God first. He's going to be my authority, no matter what the trial or the damage or the pain. Because see, this is what happens as you're waiting, as you're not giving God the, His glory and receiving His counsel, then something happens in your life and it keeps you from being able to do it. Some pain comes and then you blame God. That it came, but you were never underneath his authority, his protection, his, his, his salvation. And so now you can blame God and say it was God's fault. He never did nothing for me, so now I'm mad. But you were always doing your own thing. Listen to me. You're either going to get bitter or better. And then when you start to actually think, well, I'm doing this and I'm being this. No, no, God will take your little idols out of your life. And he'll make it the only place you have to go is to him. And he always does that before he confirms your heart. There's no place else to go. The Passover is coming. The Passover has came. The Lord's Supper has come. Communion with God is now. He's knocking on the door. What are you going to do today? Surrender to him or keep chasing everything else in this world? Confirmation is coming. It's a sad thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Best to follow him. Listen to me. Listen to me. All of the firstborn died. All of the false priests died. God is sovereign. He has all power. He continues over and over to do the same testimony to draw us to him. He's written every bit of this 66 books to draw us to him. And he says here, here it is. Let's get back to it. John 12. Let's just read from 31 and following. 
now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. See, he's out on bond right now, but the devil has been cast out. He's defeated. You don't have to follow his walk. And Jesus says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And lifted up is meaning on a cross, to die on a Roman cross. Listen, he's drawing everyone. The question is, is will you surrender? Because if you don't receive the drawing of the Holy Spirit that convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, and you keep rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit, then he's going to confirm your heart. And it won't be. See, every person that goes to hell will be there on their own choice. Because he just confirms you. If you keep choosing death, if you keep choosing the world that's earning to sway the wicked one, if you keep choosing to do everything else except to commit to God, listen to me, then he'll give you over to that. He'll let you commit to the world. He'll let you commit to yourself. He'll let you commit to the devil. He'll let you walk in darkness. He's not going to force himself. He's standing knocking, saying, I've already died for you. I'm giving myself for you. I've done everything to lead you out of this graveyard. But it has to be your choice because I'm here to get free will vessels that will choose to be in fellowship with me for eternity. If you'll choose that, his way, not our way. You don't get to make up your way. But see, the devil wants you to make up your way. Well, I went to church this week. Not going to get you in. Read my Bible this week. Not going to get you in. I did a bunch of work. Helped old lady across the street. Not going to get you in. I made soup and handed out food in the soup kitchen. Not going to get you in. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Stop lifting up your heel against his authority in your life. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. He's drawing us with all men to himself. The question is, will we surrender and receive him? The question is, will we listen or kick against the goads? Listen, he's been lifted up. We know it. They have it in secular history. We know that he was raised up on a, on a cross, a cruel Roman cross. Instead of Barabbas, he took our place. We know that he was buried. We know, if you're a believer, that he got up out of the grave. He defeated the last enemy, death. And now he's drawing you. We're not trying to draw you to Harvest Chapel. We're not trying to get you involved in a bunch of clouds of smoke and dust and do a whole bunch of fancy works that are nothing to do with the gospel. What we're wanting you to do is surrender your life to Jesus and what he's doing, which is saving souls. Listen to me. If he be lifted up, if he be lifted up, he will draw all peoples to himself. The people answered him. Now notice, because this is, this is really your heart. The way you speak to God and speak to the authority in your life and speak to others and what you say about spiritual truth is your heart of what you are hanging on to. It's your heart of whether you want to argue with God's word or reason with him from the scriptures. So listen to what they say. We have heard... You heard wrong. From the law that the Christ remains forever. 
And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Now, they didn't hear wrong completely. Remember, they just heard it from the devil. Because really, he does remain forever. But they didn't hear correctly about him dying on a cross for them, taking their place. The, 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 the Jewish rabbis would spiritualize it. The same way we're doing today. All you have to do is go to an altar and say a prayer. Everything else is spiritualized. And it's all something that, oh, no, that you don't have to do that. You can live any way you want. No, positionally you're saved. Practically you're being saved. There's, there's three legs of this race. And potentially we'll understand this one day if we say it enough and talk about it enough. But you can't stop at the starting line and expect, well, in this world you can. You can stop at the starting line and identify as somebody who's finished. And that's what the, the liar wants you to do. But your identity is hidden in Christ. And I'm going to keep saying this. I said it again this week to somebody. My identity is not that I lost my wife. My identity is hidden in Christ Jesus. Everything about me is hidden in Christ Jesus. And guess where my wife is? She's hidden in Christ Jesus. My identity is that I was a husband that loved my, Christ, my wife the way Christ loved the church and laid his life down for her. And I did everything I could to make her holy and righteous and be in church and live the way that God wanted her to do. Was I perfect? No. I was a wretch. Ask her, oh good, you can't. Talk to her when you get there. But we're all wretches. There's none righteous. We're privileged to be involved. We're privileged to have a position. We're privileged to give a place at his table. We're privileged to go out and tell others something that they think is absurd. But we're still called to do it. And my identity is still in Christ. Does my heart ache? Yeah, you know, when it first happened, I walked through my tears. Now, yesterday, I was washing my face in my tears. There were so many. I'm washing my face, going like this, trying to wipe them clean, and got water all over my head from crying so much. But that's flesh. That's not spirit, because we're overwhelmingly more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And sometimes he has to take stuff out of your life so that you'll actually give your life to Him and surrender to Him and trust Him and follow Him instead of somebody else and some idol. So who's the strength of your life today? Where do you identify as being? Oh yeah, they mock us. You can identify to be anything. No, you can identify to be a Christ child, a Christ follower, and that's the only way you're making it out alive. Listen to me. That's the only identity you can have. We are hidden in Christ Jesus. Any other identity is flesh and it's going to die. Any other place that you stand is going to be met with much pain and grief and heartache and maybe a pit in hell. I'm not telling you that's where it finishes. But if you practice your life identifying with everything else instead of Christ who died and yea rose again and you practice that as your authority and the next battle, the next storm, the next thing is going to identify me. The next thing I'm going to react to it. I'm going to move by it. It's going to drag me across the room. It's going to devastate me. Then don't be surprised when you get to the end of your life and all you have is devastation and you've reaped what you've sown all your life when light has shown into your darkness. 
Listen to me. This is the scriptures. This is your soul. This is salvation. And if it's not right, then go prove me wrong. Get in the scriptures and come and show me where I am wrong. But if it's right, you need to hear the voice of God. I don't want to hear about what some other church is teaching and some other pastor's teaching or what somebody else believes or what some commentary says. What does your Bible say? What does your Lord say? What does God say to you? Because it's going to be you and him at the throne one day. Is he high and lifted up or is something else high and lifted up? There's going to be a time of confirming, just like with Pharaoh. God will confirm. He will harden your heart. Sounds like, oh, well, God made him. No, God, God put everybody's name that's ever born in the book of life. He invited them to a wedding supper, and then he starts to scratch them out when they say no. He says, oh, they're reaping death. They're chasing death. They won't listen to my voice, and he starts marking them out. He confirms them. Which, which book are you written in? What have you confirmed your life to? What is your identity in? This is salvation. This is being made whole. Pop. So they heard that the Christ lives forever, and he does. He's on the throne forever of the throne of David. It's the promise. It's, he's the seed. It's what has been planted in your heart. If we believe in Jesus, it should be growing. If it's not, we're... It's not really planted there then. I really didn't believe. Well, how do I know if it's growing? Are you going? Are you crying out? Now, I didn't say, are you perfect? I didn't say, are you making mistakes? I didn't say, or do you still sin? I said, are you going? Do you have a desire to tell somebody? See, because when you see God high and lifted up, sitting on the throne of his glory, when you see him high and lifted up and the train of his robe it fills the temple, when you see God Almighty and see that you've been saved, you've been called out of darkness, you can't shut up. I'm sorry. And you know, the way you speak might be your gift. It might not be that you're called to be an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher, but we're all called to do something. And the way you speak might be with your hands, it might be with your feet. What's our memory verse? Pursue love. Desire spiritual gifts, but most of all, that you should prophesy. That's foretelling the word of God. That's what we're doing here. That's what the people need out there. They don't need another government handout. They don't need to be putting somebody else sovereignly over their life. They need to look past their pain, past their suffering, onto the other side of the cross, into eternity, and see that God is still on the throne. My God is on the throne. Where's yours at? Somebody kick him off there? Maybe he's on the pot. Mount Carmel victory. That's what it says in the Phillips translation. Is your God on the pot? Maybe he's went to relieve himself. Our God never sleeps nor slumbers. Listen to me, guys. No matter what has bit you, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on, God's still on the throne, and he's the one you should always be looking to. Not to the person that died. Not to the pain. Not to the job. Not to the thing that dies. God's going to take all that one day and then he's going to say, am I on the throne? 
And what's really on the throne is going to be standing there because it's going to be the fruit of your life and you're going to reap what you sow. So it's very important today to get on your face, literally. If you don't just do it in your heart, get on your knees, get on your face and say, Lord, I don't want to follow culturanity. I don't want to follow a lie. And I know it's so easy to believe in you, but where's the evidence of salvation? Where's the fruit of righteousness? Bear fruits worthy of repentance is the standard. Oh, it's in love, but it's the standard. Don't believe somebody else's standard. As he says here, verse 12, 35, then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Listen, there's a time when the light's not there. He uses you for his mighty power to show his power upon the earth, just like he did with Pharaoh. Walk, peripateo, it's your general walk, the way you're living right now. While you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Notice you're becoming. Somebody asked me this morning again. Oh, I'm already saved. And I was like, well, if you're saved, you'll be growing. If you're saved, you'll be going. If you're saved, there's going to be fruit. Yeah, but I'm already saved. I said, you can already be saved, but there's rewards in heaven. There's, there's also a need to know right now whether I'm being deceived, whether I'm being religious, whether I'm surrendering more, whether I'm dying more, whether I'm going more. Not, not that I'm doing it to be saved, but if I'm becoming like him, there's going to be evidence of it. But if I'm walking in darkness, I don't even know where I'm going. I don't understand my identity. Listen to me. These are very important words. This is not a joke. This is the Holy Spirit wrote these purposely 35 years after the good news was given and people were already running off the rails because the devil had joined the church. And these things are written so that we might believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And that means to entrust your spiritual well-being. It means to commit. It means to trust Him and follow Him and have a constancy in it. Not a one-time thing. Oh yeah, positionally, if you truly believe you're saved. But if you go walking in darkness, living in darkness, do not be surprised that your life does not reap darkness at the end of it. Outer darkness. Because you were deceived into never listening to the light. How many people went to college and then fell out of college? Oh, I'm going to college. Yeah, what are you going for? Oh, I'm going to be a brain surgeon. Three months later, how's that working out for you? Oh, I spent the money. Guess I'm not a brain surgeon. Do you think you're going to get the degree at the end when everybody else walks across the stage? See, it doesn't work in simple things. Talk about a paycheck, a job, anything. It doesn't work. Yes, Jesus did all the work for us, but he did the work for us to remove the penalty, to remove the power, so that you would have a desire to run the race to win and to obey as he did, to learn to follow as he did, to grow and go. Even he learned perfect obedience, what? Through the things that he suffered. How does a perfect God learn perfect obedience through things that he suffers? Because he willingly came down and became an example for you and me. So when things go on, guess who's still on the throne? Guess who's sovereign in it? Guess who's allowing it? He doesn't, he doesn't tempt you with, with evil, but guess who allows the devil, the tempter, to come and tempt you? He's testing you. 
You, you spend a week in a classroom and then you get a test. Why is he testing you? So that you can survive the great temptation. You can survive that evil day that Paul talks about in, in, in Ephesians chapter 6. Having done all stand so that in the evil day, you're ready for it. When you have that day of Job and you have a bunch of miserable counselors standing around you saying a bunch of platitudes, a bunch of things that make no sense and they muddy up and cloud up God's counsel. You have to remember that God's still on the throne. He's never left the throne. And he loves you with a never-ending love. And you indeed need to know that when you lose everything. You need to know that God still loves you. But if you're going on emotions and feelings and what I want to do, and, and, and I'm following this idol, and I'm following this world, and I'm following this authority and that authority, and these things over here, and you're not looking past them to a sovereign God who loves you and died for you, you're going to end up in a ditch because you're following the wrong counsel. This is really serious stuff, guys. If I ever get to today's text... Because what did he do next? It's um, 36b. These things Jesus spoke. That's how he created the heavens and the earth. And then he departed and was hidden from them. Cryptos. They didn't know where he was at. He already spoke everything. Do you know where he's at? He's seated at the right hand of God in heaven. At the, at the, at the power. It's a, at the right hand is the right arm of power. He has all power. Remember he rose and he came to the boys and it's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He said, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. Yeah, but I'm too busy with my socks. I'm too busy with my job. I'm too busy. Those things are okay. Sort your socks. Go to your job. But are you looking past the job and saying souls need to be saved? Yeah, but they offended me. Really? wonder how offensive it was for our God and Savior to put on flesh and be beaten and nailed to a tree. But on the other side of it, he sets people free. So we have to die to ourselves and be that grain that falls into the ground and allows that fruit to grow up out of us. We are the soil of the seed of God. He's planted in our heart and he's growing up in us if we let it. But to believe that all you have to do is say one prayer and you're done... Not going to be good. Is he hidden from you right now? Are you saying, where's God at? Where's God at in all this? Where's God? Still on the throne. He ain't went nowhere. Seek him and he's got an answer. He's got a plan. He's wanting to wash and cleanse you. He's wanting to send you to the nations. So let's look. It's uh, 37 through 43 if I could even get through that many verses in one day. But although he had done so many signs, so many miracles before them, that they did not believe in him. Why? That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory 
and spoke of him. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Saddest verse in the Bible, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would not harden our hearts or blind our eyes, but that you would open a window for us to receive you, to walk in you, to live for you, and to stop being deceived by self-deception. Thank you for being a mighty God, mighty to save. Deliver us from ourselves, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. But although he had performed, completed, I'm going to get some words out here, done, means to make or to do. It means to abide or agree or commit. It means to yield. Think about this for a minute. Although Jesus had come and yielded so much produce, so much fruit. What do you mean, Greg? The Old Testament said he would come, that he would open blind eyes, that he would heal the lame, that he would raise the dead. And he comes and produces that same fruit because of his faith and obedience in God and being led by the Spirit. And they see it and they go, he ain't him. But he actually had produced in his life, on the face of it, standing before them, the exact same thing that the God they say they're serving was going to do. When the Messiah comes, he will. The Samaritan woman said, oh, we're told that when the, uh, when the Messiah comes, he will. I'm him, he said to her. And what did she do? She went and told everybody in the city, come meet a man that told me everything that I ever did. What did they do? They drew near. They come out. They go, now we believe because, we first believe because of what you said, your testimony, your witness, because you said it. But now we believe because we've heard his voice. We've heard his word. We've investigated. And we see the fruit. We see the produce. We see this is the Messiah that was prophesied by the word of God that would come. Right now, we're seeing the fulfillment of some other word of God. Why are they blinded? Why would they not believe? Because God already told them this was going to happen. That's why it's so important to know the word of God, to know what's getting ready to happen on the landscape next, to know what you should be doing when this happens, that happens. Receive his counsel. Hear his counsel. Listen to instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. When's your latter days? Tomorrow. When you go back out there to a dead and dying world, you're being equipped today because tomorrow you're going to go out there and somebody's going to speak roughly to you and you're going to be like, let's go, let's go, throw them up, let's go. When you should be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove and you should be looking beyond them to the throne room of God and saying, how do we save them, God? How do they come to salvation, God? Listen to me. This is what Jesus was doing in everything, proclaiming the kingdom of God. Although he did many miracles before them, came down in flesh and walked right in front of them and did it, and they were like, wow, did you see that guy come out of the grave? He said, come forth, and the dead obeyed his voice. Lazarus got back up. He's been in the grave for four days. All of our teachers told us that couldn't happen because the Spirit only dwelt for three days, and here comes Lazarus out of there. So these teachers must be messed up.
But what do they do? They listen to him at the end of Jesus' life. And they say, Barabbas is good. It's good enough. Lines up with what I'm doing so I can reap what I'm sowing. Barabbas, murderer, insurrectionist. I'll pop up here. I'm just telling you. I will pop. I'm sorry. I get excited by the word of God. Think about it because God's done miracles in your life. You're like, uh, well, see, miracles are done either supernaturally or naturally. See, just a natural thing that you're even in church on Sunday morning is a miracle. Because there's a whole lot of people that aren't. There's a whole lot of people that say they believe in God and they won't even put the scripture reference on the t-shirt. Because we're coming to a dead and dark and ugly place of reaping what we've sown as a world. And God has no desire that anyone should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And yet people are blaming it on God. It's God's fault. Look what God has done. No, he came and gave us everything, his own life. But we've hardened our hearts and he comes and confirms our hearts and says, oh, you'll have none of it? Well, I'll let you go that way. Have a nice day. I loved you with a never-ending love. That's very sad. And we all can do it in little types and little ways. You know, the foolish said no to God. All of us can be foolish. It doesn't mean we're fools. But there's times that God asks me to do stuff, and I'm like, no. But I'm not a fool. I can just still actually do the characteristics of, of a fool. But now my identity is in Christ. They did all, he did all these signs. And listen, it can't be, unless it lines up with the Bible, it's not a sign from God. God doesn't change. There's a lot of lying signs and wonders out there today even. There's a lot of things going on that look like it's religious. It looks like it's from God. But if it doesn't line up with his character, his nature, and his will, his name, the name above all names, then it's a lying sign and wonder. It's a lying provision. It's to keep you from getting to the throne room. And think about this. The veil was rent so you can come into the throne room. Well, how? Not by yourself. Only through Jesus. He makes a new and living way. He's a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Coming out of nowhere onto the landscape and you believe in him and trust in him and he's God's provision to lead you out of this world and into heaven, into God's family, to God's table. But you can't follow everything else and then wait till you get to the end of your life and go, I think I'll do that. Because he might confirm your heart on the way to the end of your life. Now think about it. You're like, well, wait a minute. And it's actually in our text today. He hung on the cross between two thieves. Because if you break one law, you've broken them all. So you might as well call them thieves. We're all thieves. Doesn't matter which command you break. You break them all if you broke one. But notice that one of them changed his mind. When you take the full counsel of God, you won't get it from one text, but you get it from the full counsel of God. They both were reviling him and listening to the ruling leaders on the ground that said, if he's the Messiah, let him come down. Let him save himself. He saved others. And so they both start doing that to him on both sides of him. And then one of them changes his mind. He repents. And he looks at the other one and he says, 
Are you going to speak to the Lord of glory like this? I'm paraphrasing. Are you going to revile the Lord like that? And he said, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom today. And he said, I assure you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Because he repented. Yes, there's deathbed conversions, but don't count on it. Because your heart's going to be confirmed on the way to that deathbed. Except for the grace of God. Because we reap what we sow. Where are we at? Done all these miracles. You've seen these miracles. You've seen the hand of God. But they did not trust in him, commit to him. That's what that's going to be. There's no covenant with him. Why is that important? You'll see down in the bottom when these people that confessed him, it's the same word for, for, for uh, 1 John 1, 9. It's the same word for Romans 10, 9, and 10. It's, it's about agreeing, coming underneath his headship, coming underneath his authority. It's a marriage ceremony. When they wouldn't commit to him, then there's no marriage. There's no betrothal. I'm still committed to everything else. It's all more important than meeting with God. But, but why didn't they believe fulfilling the word of God? Watch. Did not believe in him, 38, that the word of Isaiah, Isaiah's, Isaiah's, it means Yah has saved. In the Hebrew, it means Jehovah has saved. It means Jehovah is help. That the word of Isaiah, is it really Isaiah's word? No, in the Old Testament, see, they didn't have the written Bible. They didn't have the word of God. And so what happened is God would tell a prophet something and the prophet would come and tell the people something. He was the intermediary where he would bring the word of God. So the word of God always came through the prophet. When you read Hebrews 1.1, in past times, in various manners, God spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, he speaks to his son, who he's made heir of all things, who, who all things were created by him and through him and for him. And then he goes on with this entire dissertation to prove that there's no other Messiah, but that he's greater than the angels, that he's greater than Moses, that he's greater than all that other stuff you want to look to instead of the throne room. See, because they were under the threat of losing their place in the synagogue. And that's what we see down here. The very last verse. Started in, it started in chapter 9. The parents wouldn't answer when they had a chance to confess and talk about. All they had to talk about was not Jesus, just their son was born blind. And then he told us that he came and met a man named Jesus and now he can see. All they had to do was tell the truth and they decided not to because they were under the threat that they would lose everything to this world. Isn't that what's going on today? Because there's nothing new under the sun. There's no new plan. It's just been more silent. Now it's out in the open. Now God is dividing the sheep from the goat. He's allowing us to see it and revealing it, uncovering it. It's not hidden anymore. And he's making sure that we see it and we can make a decision so that he can confirm our hearts at the end of the age, these last days. I'm going to pop. I know it's crazy. That's the only way I can calm back down and breathe. So Isaiah, the prophet, means an inspired speaker, one that foretells the word of God. And he's an interpreter or a spokesman for God. Now think about this for a minute. It's not his word. 
All he's doing is relaying the word. All he's doing is preaching the word. All he's doing is interpreting the word by the Spirit of God that led him to give the message to the people. It's always God. You've got to always look past the man. You've got to always look past everybody else, and you look to the authority. But you learn authority through coming underneath God's government. He designed marriage. He designed family. He designed everything to teach us authority, and there's always authority. It's a court that's not out of order. It's a court that has order. There's always an authority. There's always a hierarchy. In fact, the word submit, which we hate in our culture, and nobody's responsible anymore because of lawlessness, the word submit is hupomaneo. It's a military term that means to arrange an orderly ranking. So you need to find out, what is my rank? Boy, think about in the military, if you was running around trying to act like you somebody you wasn't. What is my rank? What is my gift, my talents, my abilities? What is my place? I don't want to be in somebody else's lane. I want to be led by the Spirit doing what I'm called to do, orderly ranking. That's why when you get to Ephesians 5, and it says, submit to one another in the fear of God. Long before it says, wives, this is what submission looks like to you. Husbands, this is what submission looks like to you. It says, first, submit to one another. Hupomaneo. Find out your ranking. Find out what you're called for. And be trained to come underneath authority. But you know what we said? Just like the book of Judges. There's no king. So everybody does what's right in their own eyes. There's no king. What do you mean? Well, you're not looking past the person, past the thing, past that which is dominating your life and getting into the throne room and saying, God, you're the authority. What's going on with this? What's the wisdom in this? How do I behave toward this? How do I treat others because of this? See, that's, rece- that's, that's hearing counsel and receiving instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. Proverbs 19, 20. So, anyway. Why did the Isaiah speak this? Look, what's going on? Why is all this going on? That the word, God's word, through the foreteller, the inspired speaker, the one that it was interpreting what God was saying to them, might be fulfilled. Oh, no. It's fulfilled? It means to make replete or to cram. Listen, I love this. It means to cram the net full. And my brain just goes, boom! I mean, anyway, I'm going to quit because we're fishers of men. And, we, and they fished with nets. And, and, and they fished at night because the fish couldn't see the net because their nets were bulky. Listen, in the darkness, that's where you guys are going. That's where I'm going. We're going out into a dark world fishing with a net. And if you don't do it wisely and like a serpent, you know what's going to happen? They're going to go, oh, here comes one of them stupid Christians. They see the net coming. They see the hook coming. They see it. And they go, I'm getting out of here. That's why you have to go in the power of God, by the Spirit of God, where God's already prepared the heart of the people so that they will hear it and they'll want to hear it. You don't have to waste your time places where people don't want to hear it. I'm going to pop. I love this stuff. So it's been fulfilled. The the net has been crammed full. It means to to, to satisfy, to finish, to complete, to accomplish. It means to supply. My God will supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Listen, that's what the Word of God does. Now, now don't be going, oh, yeah, because he gave me this, and he gave me that, and he gave me this other thing. No, no, no. We're talking about supplying all of your spiritual needs. And if he throws the world in with that, then great. I got this, and I got that, and I got the other thing now. 
but it's about our spiritual needs. It's about spiritual eyes and ears and heart to hear and receive the word so that it will grow. It's not about God's giving me stuff. It drives me crazy when somebody says, well, God paid my rent. Well, uh, maybe. Just because that church gave you a rent check doesn't mean God did it. You might have needed to be homeless in order for you to fall low enough to cry out to God. And that church just took God's place and you couldn't see past the church. You couldn't see past the check. You couldn't see past the rent. You couldn't see past and ask God to supply. Now, I'm not telling you every time a church does that, but like I told you before, many times you hear my stories over and over. We used to do it as drug. I used to rob houses and do drugs, and I'd go knock on the church's door and go, hey, our rent's due. I didn't even have a lease, and they didn't go to check it out. They'd just go, how much is it, sir? 500 They'd write us a check. They'd go, what's your landlord's name? And we'd say, Don Blevins, and they'd write it to Don Blevins, and he was a drinking buddy, and we'd give him a case of beer to cast a check and give us the rest of the money so we could go to the dope man. So did the church really take care of any of my needs? No, they tried to kill me. They were feeding my drug habit because they didn't do anything with wisdom. Listen to me, this is a serious situation that we have in the churches today that all we do is take care of people's needs and they can't see past the church. They can't get to the throne room of God. I'm not saying don't take care of people, but even Jesus said the poor you have, would you always? If you just take care of everybody's needs, they never learn to think for themselves. That's what the government's trying to do right now, the spirit of Antichrist. They never learn to grow crops. They never learn to take care of themselves. They always look to somebody else to take care of them. They always are going to turn back to somebody else, but you're supposed to turn to God. He's sovereign in all of this. He allows it so that you'll trust him, so you'll cry out to him. I'm never going to get done with this text. What did he say? What did he supply? What did the word of God say? What was the fruit that was coming from when Isaiah spoke? Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's powerful. Because see, in the New Testament, in the written scriptures, when a scripture is quoted by a teacher, what was they doing? See, they all had to memorize the Bible. See, the the Jewish nation was memorizing Scripture. They knew Scripture. To you and me, I would say, turn to Isaiah 53. See, but in their hearts, their hearts would automatically go to the... Turn to Isaiah 53. That was an instruction, if you have your Bibles. Isaiah 53 is what he's quoting. So when they quoted Scripture, they had scrolls. And so in their hearts, they would go to the entire context of Isaiah 53. He wouldn't have to sit there and tell them the entire thing. And many times when I'm speaking and God reveals something to you, it's because I'm saying something that God wants you to look at, and you're going, whoa, that just opened that door completely up because the Scriptures opens up your heart and uncovers hidden things in order to satisfy and grow fruit because of what the word has already said and that's where we should be looking for all of our supply from god and what he's already said where is it in isaiah is that in the old testament so listen and many of you if you're bereans or bible students you know that isaiah 53 uh, it is the cross. It is Christ. It is everything about God. I, I'm going to go through some of this. But listen, it doesn't start in Isaiah 53. 
See, they would be going, oh, what's Isaiah 53.1? He just quoted Isaiah 53.1. He just quoted the whole context there. And our eyes are veiled. We can't even see it because it's hidden from us because the word of God is being fulfilled. See, now today we can unclose it, but the Jews standing there had no idea what he was talking about, even though they knew the context. But where does it start at? See, Isaiah is a small picture of the Bible. It's a type of the Bible. It's got 66 chapters, right? 66 chapters. See, Isaiah 53 in context started in what chapter? 40. Think about it with me. 66 is how many books are in the Bible. That's how I always, when people want to argue about the Bible, I confirm it by saying God's perfect. He's not God. If he, if, he, if he can't get you a perfect book, a perfect letter, a perfect revelation of himself, and he un- discloses it, opens up the mystery of it to you when you need it, then he's not God at all. He's not a God I want to serve. He's weak and anemic if somebody's pushing him out of the way. Listen to me. The context of 53, the whole report is the rest of the Bible. The whole report is verses or chapter 1, 1, all the way up to 53. Listen to me. But it actually changed in the 40th chapter. Why is this a microcosm of the Bible? Because in the 40th book of the Bible is Matthew. And it's the place that God says, comfort, comfort. Here's rest. Here's a place of rest because I'm going to come and take your judgment. I'm going to die for you. Well, why would you do that? Because I'm fulfilling prophecy. The word that I already said that I would come out of and die for you and pay for your sins. And the Old Testament saints look forward to it. The Jewish nation was telling everybody that Jesus was going to come. They didn't know his name. The Messiah was going to come from the tribe of Judah, from the house of David. He's the son of David. That's why they're going to him. Who is the son of man? He's using a a messianic uh, term that was used in Ezekiel and Daniel and stuff. And he's saying the son of man. He's he's referring to himself. He uses it a bunch of times too. I think like maybe even 99 times in the book of John. I could be wrong. I could be mistaken. Let's get back to the text. 53, Isaiah 53, 1. What does it say? Who has believed our report? What report? The rest of Isaiah's words from chapter 1 all the way through. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? What arm? His mighty strength, his outstretched arm, which he sent down as his son to save the world. It's his power, it's his might. In in an idiom, he uses arm as an idiom, which is a type of language that was used in any language. When I say Hebraism, it's the type of the idiom that's used in Hebrew, specific nation specific language but an idiom is a type of language that is used in any language but then you can narrow it down in a minute we'll see a hebraism about that where the nation of hebrews always did the same thing i don't mean to confuse you i just want you to understand that this arm is jesus and the revealed is he's no longer hidden He's uncovered. It's it's the same as revelation. It means to take the cover off, to remove the mystery, to uncover that which was covered up. In the New Testament, it means to take the cover off, to disclose, to reveal. Or here it is, to open up that which has been veiled. See, the Holy of Holies has always been veiled. But in Christ, the veil is rent. And now because we believe in him, 
we can come into the Holy of Holies and look to God for everything. And yet the whole church stays outside the veil. And we don't draw near with pure hearts. So when you look at this, hold your finger in Isaiah 53 and just click back to chapter 40. See, all the way Isaiah is speaking and all the way up to 39, he's talking about the nation of Judah, the southern tribe. The, 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 the um, northern tribes have already went into captivity. Assyria has already taken them away. And they should have been looking at them and going, look, God fulfills his word. God does exactly what he said. When they started following Jeroboam and his golden calves, God said he would destroy them. They didn't turn. They didn't repent. They didn't bear fruits worthy of repentance. And so God brought a, a stronger nation to come down and take them into captivity and put them into bondage. And Judah should have been learning from what God has already said and fulfilled his words that you reap what you sow. And, and they didn't. So you get to 40 and he starts to talk about their captivity in Babylon. Even though it hasn't happened yet, he's prophesying. He's telling them about it. The same way he's telling us about a Messiah is going to come in 13 chapters. And he tells them about it in a great way. Look what he says in 40. He says, comfort. Yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. And then what's the next verse? It's, it's what John the Baptist did. It's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be uncovered. The lid taking off and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken past tense listen to me he's saying it all in past tense because it's a prophetic word but notice what he says everything's being made correct whole mountains tore down everything's going to be on the same level ground valleys filled in roads straightened everything is prepared and you and i are supposed to be that voice crying and telling others that the messiah has died for them chapter 40 Oh yeah, captivity's coming, judgment's coming, everything's coming, but we have comfort, we have peace, we have rest, we know it's coming. We know it's here now on this nation and on this world. It's a done deal. God already said it, so it's a done deal. But how should you and I behave as a people until it happens? We should keep looking past it and looking to God for our instructions and marching orders and becoming ambassadors of Christ in the ministry of reconciliation of souls. Nothing changes. Sometimes the storms look worse. Sometimes death happens. Sometimes you lose a job, but you're still looking to God who is sovereign over every bit of it. In verse 6, Isaiah 40, the voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? What's the message? All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like a flower of the field. No matter how good it looks, all flesh is grass. The grass is going to wither. The flower is going to fade because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. He's sovereign. 
He's the one who gives life and he takes away life. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Notice what's going to stand forever, what God has spoken, what God has said. So what should we be living by? We're going to see that next week, God willing. In the rest of chapter 12, he's going to tell us what we're being judged by, everything that God said. He, he, there's nothing new coming. There's no new counsel. There's no, nothing new under the sun. And so we're supposed to understand that none of us are anything but grass. Even if we look really flowery and really pretty, even if we looked our best, we're going to die. It's appointed for men to, to die once and then comes the judgment. We're all going to die. These are earthly tents. They're made to wear out. They're made to die. And our importance is the spiritual life on the other side. That's what's important. So, O Zion, that's the city of David, you who bring good tidings, get up into the mountain, O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, speaking of both, city of David and the city of Jerusalem, teach in peace, lift up your voice with strength, weak anemic church, lift it up, be not afraid, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. We've been sent, we've been commissioned, we have authority the same way God sent Christ Christ has sent us but people get really mad at authority because they're rebellious and they hate authority and they don't want to hear about authority and you're not the boss of me and don't judge me and I'm not doing anything of course guess what when you reject authority there's no authority except that which is from God listen to me because he's sovereign and Paul's writing this to the Roman church in 13.1 in the days that Nero is impaling them to their rectum and using them as torches in his garden for his orgies. And Paul is still telling them God is sovereign. And if you resist the authorities, you're actually resisting God. That's the truth. No matter how you try to pan it out, sift it through it, and use earthly wisdom to change it, God brings judgment. We reap what we sow because of how we're living. How can men stand in a fire and be burnt at a cross for being a witness for God and hold up their hands and sing praise? Because they're reaping what they've sown. They've always glorified God. They've always trusted in Him. And they can stand to be burnt at a stake and still glorify Him by the grace of God for the glory of God. Because they've always been doing that. So God's people should be able to go through a whole lot of stuff, the valley of the shadow of death, and not fear anything because He is with us. Doesn't mean the bad things ain't going to happen. It just means He's with us. He's going to get us to the other side. You can trust Him. Good hands, people. Righteous right arm. I can't do it all. You read the rest of it. You read the rest of 40. I want to go back to 53. 53. This is the report all the way through here. Who's believed that report? Who has be, who's the arm of the Lord been revealed to? We say, oh, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I went to an altar. Oh, I said a prayer. Oh, I believe in that God. What God? One that spoke and fulfills everything, supplies everything. One that died for you. One that gives you all authority and power. One that is actually here right now. And he's saying, come into the throne room of me and hear my voice and obey me because my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Or some other God that some man made up and you never get into the throne room. And you say, well, God failed me. I didn't get nothing. That's not the God I serve. Of course not, because we've been falsely told things that aren't true, and we miss the true Christ. We miss the Spirit of God and the Word of God. 
Because it's a personal relationship. God has no grandchildren. You can't ride on my coattails. I'm just trying to encourage you to get into the Word and draw near to Him. And He'll change your life forever. He'll tell you why He called you. He'll put you in your place. But you have to bow down. If you don't bow down, you're resisting the Spirit. You can't be led by the same Spirit you're resisting. He's going that way, and you're going that way. Repentance means you turn and go where He's going. You turn your heart toward home. You come to your senses. I pray that we can. I love, I got a big, I got a, I, I'm, a, I'm a doodler, I draw. So I draw a big right arm with his sleeve up, and Jesus is on his arm. Anyway, I just looked down at it and seen it. He raised his, it, it, let's keep going. Let's keep going, wait a minute. Because it's so amazing. No, let's don't, let's go back. That was in chapter 52. I think actually 53 could start in verse 13 of 52. If you look at 52, 13, it says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any other. That's the beating that he took for us. And his form more than the sons of men. He took more pain than anybody ever could. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. But it'll be too late. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm, the power, the strength, the might of the Lord been revealed? Oh, is that it? Is that it? No, he wants you to turn to that page. He wants you to look at that page. I'm looking at a, another text. And then it says, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, for he shall, or, and he as a root out of the dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. When you see um, the Magnificat in Luke one fifty one, it's really the first usage in the New Testament um, of the word revealed in the Magnificat as Mary does the thing at Elizabeth's house. You might, you might not know about it, but he says, and she says in her, led by the Spirit, magnificence, as she lifts up the majesty of the Christ child, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their heart. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. And, and I mean, again, you're seeing the word of God come out and the arm of God is being extolled, is being lifted up. And that was just the first usage. I've been doing a lot of first usages so you understand the context of what it means or where it comes from and that it's not just a one-time thing, that God actually uses that same word the same way all the way through the Bible. But here's, here's the interesting thing. When he pronounces comfort, 
in chapter 40 of Isaiah? Comfort doesn't just mean rest. It's the first word that's used is when about Noah. That Noah, when he's born in Genesis 5.29, he will bring what? Comfort from the curse. It's actually what it says. He will bring comfort from the curse, from the work of tilling the land. You can go back and read it. It's 529, I think. Uh, He's going to bring that comfort. But the word comfort actually also means repentance. Because the next use is is, is in 6.6, where God relents or repents and is sorry that he ever created man. Same word. Same word. Listen to me. Because there's no comfort from God unless there's repentance from that which needs comforted. And we've got a gospel in the world today that is teaching comfort and rest and peace with God without repentance. But with God in His usage in the Old Testament, He puts them both in the same thing. Repentance brings comfort. Repentance brings Noah. Repentance brings rest. Repentance brings all the promises of God. But without repentance, no promises. First word Jesus used. It's God's will, not that everybody comes to salvation, but everybody comes to repentance. Because we're living and moving in a direction that is death. We're growing death. We're chasing everything else. And He wants us to change our mind and chase Him because He's life. Two trees in the garden. Tree of life, tree of death. Huh? Knowledge of good and evil. It brought forth death. So it has to be a tree of death. Why? Because it, you covet it. It wells up in your pride. And now you chase it and you don't look to God. You think you got it figured out. Produces death. That's what it grows in your life. That's why PhD means permanent head damage. Because once you get it and you don't compare it to the Word of God, you have permanent head damage because you think too much of yourself instead of being lowly and humble. So he grows up before him. Notice God's sovereignty is always there. A tender plant, a vine, uh, um, and as a root... Out of the dry ground, to root, he's the root of the, of the stem of Jesse. He's, he's a seed. That's what it is. The seed uh, is the root. It grows. He has no form or comeliness. That's a strange word, isn't it? Comeliness. I'm looking for it. I'll find it. I got it somewhere. We don't use a word like comeliness, but it means magnificence or splendor. Listen, he grows up before him. He's born in a barn. He's laid in a feeding trough so people can eat of him because this is what his life is going to be about. And if you eat from him, he's going to bring life. He's laid in a manger. A manger is a hole carved out in a cave for a cow to stick his head in and eat. Who does that? So no comeliness, no glory, no honor, no majesty. There's no reason. He's not dressed in purple robes. Those pictures are all lies. He doesn't glow. That's a lie. It's a Catholic lie. If he glowed, they would have just said, get the one that's glowing. Judas wouldn't have had to bend there to betray him with a kiss. They just said, get the guy that's glowing. He stands right there glowing. He's not taller than anybody else, but he glows. How could you miss him? just doesn't happen but we've been painted this lie in fact we're not even supposed to make an image violates the first commandment no other god second commandment make no image 
I'm going to get up, get excited. This word is used first usage in Leviticus 23:40, which is amazing because it's in the Feast of Tabernacles. Listen, no comeliness about him, only desiring to hear his voice. When you hear his word, what word do you end up at? With a new house in a new kingdom. It's the Feast of Tabernacles, which always commemorated God providing for them in the wilderness, and it pointed to our new house in heaven. John 14, we'll get there soon enough. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you. Where I go, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. And if I go, I will return to receive you to myself. So no comeliness. 53. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. It's his words, people. Remember when they sent the guards to arrest him? They come back going, where's he at? He goes, nobody ever spoke like him. Like, we were listening to him. We were like, wow. All right, let's go to lunch. Nobody ever spoke like him. We didn't arrest him. We forgot what we were there for. It's his voice. Are you listening for his voice? Are you listening to his word? Are you wanting to hear the voice of God? Because there's a bunch of other voices out there that are liars. Landmines in your walk. Landmines everywhere. Turn in here. Turn in here and it blows you up and you're off over here off the path. Instead of following his voice, looking to do his will, looking past all the other things and looking to the throne room every day, spending time with him. Not looking backward, looking onward and upward to the higher call of God in Christ Jesus. Wow, all of that, he was despised and rejected, verse 3, by men. Angels sang about him. Demons tremble at him. Men reject him, despise him, beat him. Think about it. We're the only ones with free will to do this. Demons obey him. They have no choice. Angels sing about him, glorify him, introduce him, announce him, because they know his majesty. We've been given a choice, a privilege, a calling. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief because he was rejected, because he took our pain. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. In other words, listen, talking to the Jewish nation mainly, but us also, face is always favor. They gave him no favor. They didn't believe him. They didn't trust him. They didn't esteem him as the one smitten. They rejected him. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. Notice that word surely. You know where that word's first usage is at? Anybody want to guess? You shall surely die. And the day that you disobey my voice, you shall surely die. One word. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day that you do, you will surely die. And then that word is using right here. Surely he has borne our death. Surely he has borne our grief. Surely he has borne our sorrows. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. But God loves us enough that he wants to reveal it to our eyes. And we, he wants us to plant it in our hearts. And he wants it to grow up and produce fruit that will stop looking to man. And will start looking to him and trusting in him. And get out of our own agendas and desires and pursue souls. Pop. Surely he has borne our griefs. 
carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. It was prophesied. It was told. Let this cup pass from me. Smitten by God for us. Afflicted. Man, that's, I mean, I'm just telling you, this is putting this in really nice terms. When you go through the flagellum, when you go through the cleanup statement of the Romans, when you're beaten to your marred and you're beaten and there's, it's a cleanup statement. They would hit you and hit you and hit you. And I hate to put too much emphasis on it because he doesn't want you to know about it. He wants his goodness to draw you to repentance. But they would say, confess your crimes. And when you're not a liar and you've committed no crimes, you're going to get hit more. See, one of us, we would be like, yeah, I did it. I robbed two banks. I killed them. I was killing people all day long. And they would stop hitting you. Because we can lie. He couldn't lie. So he was beaten and afflicted and stricken and more than we could ever imagine because we would find a way out and he had no way out because he was obeying the will of God. Because he was God with us. That cleanup statement's crazy. Wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. Listen, do not despise chastisement. It's okay. Think about it. He was chastised for us, died for us, and we get life now from it. So in life, as you're chastised by God, when you're corrected by God, when you correct your children, it's good to train them in the way they're supposed to go. This word means training by education. Some kids need a good swat on the butt. Some kids just need you to get down to their level and talk to them. But there's a chastisement that must come to interfere with their self to stop them so that life can come out of it. No life comes unless somebody dies. And because we were dying, life came. Listen, we got to get this stuff. This is powerful. And we haven't even got to the meat of it yet. We're getting ready to get there. So our peace, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Now we can be at peace with God. And by his stripes, we were healed. We are healed. Oh, did you see that? I almost changed that. We were, we are. It's all already done because you can't change the word of God. It's a, he's speaking it all the way back here before Judah even goes into captivity. And he's telling us that it's a done deal. It's finished to tell us die. It is finished. Done deal. Now you got to be careful with this because original sin causes death, right? So in Theory and context, every bit of disease and anything that's dying or putrefying would come from original sin. And so then when you have the uh, Hebrew 11, where these all died in faith, everybody's not healed physically. But eventually they will be when they get a new body in heavenly and they get an incorruptible body. So yes, he did, but no, he doesn't always down here because some people he wants to go through it and stay in it and be crippled so that they can still glorify God in what they're doing. Does that mean we don't pray for a healing? We always pray for God's will. And we always know that He will heal one day. But you can believe He can do it today. But if it's not His will, He's not going to do it. 
but you need to see through it and know that he's sovereign in it and that sometimes you stay in a place because God can use you greater from the pain of that place because you won't be trusting in man because you will always be crying out to God. But at least that's the way it's planned. Many people will cry out to the government. They'll cry out to some doctor. They'll cry out to somebody else. And see, I don't mind using doctors, but you don't go get surgery and then get up and go in the hallway and find the scalpel and start glorifying it and praising it. You don't go out there and go, Almighty scalpel! That was just an instrument that was used by the great physician. And that doctor was just used by the greater physician. To use the scalpel. And God gives us tools. He gives us privileges. Things can be healed. Things can be cut off. But we don't glorify that which does not deserve glory. We always give the glory to God. You start giving the glory to the wrong person, God will leave the room. Listen to me. We're all going to be healed. The word of God cannot be changed. But he doesn't always heal everybody. Acts chapter 3. The lame man by the temple gate. We know that. Jesus walked by him every day, three times a day. And yet here's Peter and John at the hour of prayer. And there he is. He's been there all of his life. Jesus didn't heal him. He waited to let us do it. He waited to let them do it. He waited to the perfect time. And sometimes that perfect time is when they get home. Don't get confused with the physical and become bitter. The problem everybody has is their relationship with Jesus. Because if your relationship isn't right with life, you're still living death. And it's always going to mess up your horizontal relationships. It's always going to taint them. It's always going to sour them. You're always going to have the wrong counsel. And it's always going to be somebody else's fault. And it's always, you're always going to be a victim. You're always going to say, it was that woman you gave me. Well, it was the devil that made me do it. You're always going to be a natural man if you're not living life. And life is a person. It's Jesus. You have to look beyond the veil and know that he's on the throne. We're going to get there sometime next year. Then what does he say? Verse 6, on purpose, because the number of man is six. All we like sheep have gone astray, right? All of us, none righteous, no, not one. We have turned every one to his own way. That's why we have to turn around. That's why we have to repent, metanoia, go the other direction, because we're turned to our own way of understanding. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. How did he do it? He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Verse 7, the completion of it. Yet he opened not his mouth. He did it silently. He went through everything silently, counting it all joy, because on the other side, he knew that we would be redeemed. And not only that, but he would perfectly follow the will of God. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before the shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Tell us if you are the Christ. Speak. They're beating. He can't say nothing. He's silent. For this purpose I came. Do you know what purpose you came for? Do you know what your gifts and talents and abilities are? Do you know what part of the body you are? Are you stepping on somebody else's toes? Are you running all over people? Are you running around like a madman? Are you being led by the Spirit of God in this race for God to give Him glory? There's a finish line. 
man, we train and train and train for sports. We train and train and train to do things. But what about to go to heaven for eternity and our eternal life is at stake and we won't even train. We won't lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance, hoopamony, this race that is before us. How do we do it? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who but for the... The joy that was before him despised the shame, but is now set down at the right hand of God. And if we went through chapter 12, you would see the chastisement there. Our earthly fathers chastised us. They educated us. They trained us. And we receive it. How will we not receive the chastisement or the education or the instruction from God? Which what? When it's, when it's done, it produces peaceable fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Are you being trained by God or are you still being trained by man? Are you still just pacifying your flesh or are you mortifying the, de the deeds of the flesh? Are you beating the, the flesh down and kicking it in the face, putting it in the grave? Or is it still dominating your life? If it is, you're going to reap what you sow soon. Your house is going to crumble. Your cards are going to fall down, all the way down. Make no mistake, you reap what you sow. And God is not mocked. So if a man sows to the wind, he will reap the whirlwind. Twice you see he opened not his mouth. Our words don't matter. He's taken our death. What matters is the voice of God. The word of God. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generations, we still say today, who will declare this Messiah? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, thief on both sides, but with the rich at his death, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, they came, put him in a borrowed tomb because he had done no violence. Remember, Jesus was not a violent man. Nor was any deceit in his mouth. He was innocent, Pilate said seven times. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Remember that? Genesis 3.15. He will bruise your heel, but you will crush his head. It's the promise of the seed that would come. His heel got bruised because he was in the grave for a moment, but he crushed the power. He came to destroy the works of darkness and to defeat the devil. Bruise. He has been put, or excuse me, he has put him to grief. When you make his soul, his body, gave his body, an offering for sin on the cross, he shall see his seed he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Notice it was his pleasure. It was his, he, he's going to see his seed. He's going to see us. Why? Because he got up. He's not in the grave. He's going to see his seed. We are the seed that, that, that grows from it because one seed died in the ground. Much grain was produced because you reap what you sow. He came to do the will of God, and he was died he went into the ground and when he got up now if we believe that his seed is planted in our heart and he grows up out of us and if we obey it it produces peaceable fruits of righteousness 
so that we can go out and cry out to others, make straight the way of the Lord, and then they can receive the seed, and it keeps producing. But guess what? The birds of the air want to come and camp out too. So you have to know who you're following, or you'll end up following a liar. And it's sad because it's a lonely place sometimes. He was a solitary life. He was a lonely life. People didn't understand him. John the Baptist was in the wilderness until his appearing. See, because if you go out and hang out with a bunch of people that are living death, you are going to want to do what they're doing, to fill in. But this is not our home. This is not what we're doing. We're here for souls. I'm not here to hang out with a bunch of pit dwellers. Do I have the heart of God? Sometimes I want to help them. Sometimes I want to help them get back in their car and leave. Sorry, I'm a man too. But I want to always lay my life down for them. But you don't always give people what they're asking for if you want to lay your life down. You give them what they need. My God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. How does he do it, Greg? By Christ Jesus, by the Messiah, because it's the fulfillment, the the filling, the supply, the furnishing of what's already said to be done. It can't be some other way. It's a legal document that is written, and it has to be done according to the judge. Or it's all pulled back. Wait a minute. We got a violation of the law here. We got a violation of this written document. What's the written document? God's will. Look it up in the Greek. Look it up. It means a written document. It's a contract. It's a covenant. Sorry, I'm out of control again. Calm down. Verse 11. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Isn't that cool? Satisfy my soul. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Can you say it that way even? Cool? That's, a, that's an idiom, or that's a, 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 an Americanism. It's cool. That is amazing. I don't know if you guys know it, but there's a, there was a guy that was being groomed, and I, and I tell these testimonies or stories all the time. He was being groomed to be the next great speaker in the church in Europe. And they loved him. He could sing like an angel. He could, he, could, he could preach. He was learning the word of God. But he loved to play soccer. So he went out to play soccer. And he's playing soccer. He got hit in the face with a soccer ball. And he bit the tip of his tongue off and split his tongue. And so he began to talk with a little lisp and a little bit of a, uh, a his, his words just wouldn't come out right. And they go, oh, this is bad. He can't be an orator if he's going to be talk like that. Oh, this is bad. We go, oh, you can't even sing the way you used to sing. Oh, we're so sorry. And he was rejected by the church. So he went out and he went to night school and he started a rock band. And he wrote, it goes down in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with a big tattoo all the way down him of a serpent. And they sing Sympathy for the Devil. And he sings a main song about this verse, I can't get no satisfaction. Because the church rejected him. The Word of God doesn't reject anybody you reject it and you can't get any satisfaction apart from it for your soul look he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied can you be satisfied you satisfy my soul with his truth 
Or do you want to keep chasing death? Is that what satisfies your soul? That's what kills your soul. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, just as if he never sinned. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoils with the strong. We're the strong, the ones that believe and stand. Vision 6. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the house of the devil. We're those strong. When you stand and say, no, the word of God. I'm looking past the man. I'm looking to the word of God. He divides and gives us. We become joint heirs because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. Now listen, the next verse, 54 and on, that one and two is why this church exists. We decided to enlarge our territory and go out and bear children and produce other offspring because of Isaiah 54. If you read it, it's simply amazing. We're not going to read it. We got to go back to our text. We ran out of time an hour ago. So this is what this is what he was saying to them in commentary. Who has believed their report? What report? That the Messiah is coming. It was written. I got to finish this up though. Has this arm, has this strength, has this might, has this God been revealed to you? Or is it still hidden from your eyes? Because you're chasing death. You're living in the dark. You haven't come out into the light as Lazarus did. He see, he, he come alive in the dark. But then he said, come forth. And he walked out into the light. And he stopped living in the grave. And he said, hey, people, help him take his grave clothes off. Therefore, verse 39 of John 12 Therefore, they could not believe. He confirmed their hearts. What do you mean they couldn't believe? He's sitting right there in front of them. Watch, watch. This is what we started with. Because Isaiah said again. Listen, the word again. It's pretty amazing when you look at it. The word again. Don't I have it somewhere? I know I got it somewhere. Just can't find it. Again, doesn't necessarily mean like he repeated it. It means before. It means at a different time. And in fact, when you're reading it and you're going backward, what did we go to first? 53. Well, what's that all about? He goes back further. And we're going to go to chapter 6 of Isaiah, if you would with me, please. Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, 610 of Isaiah. Six is the number of man. Six happens to be the chapter that Isaiah explains his calling in. He wrote the first five books and he stopped in chapter six and he tells you why. He tells you why he was called to be a prophet. He tells you what happened in his life that he was called to be a prophet. And we see it completely because crazy stuff is going on in the nation just like it is now. And he said this, and he said it before he gets to salvation. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Our nation is in turmoil. The, the king has died. Oh, they, 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 they've killed the president. Oh, the, big things have happened. Something happened. Some turmoil. Some turmoil happened, and I can get bitter or I can get better. But notice this, the year, Isaiah is actually the second cousin of Uzziah. 
Uzziah was actually a great king until he stopped lifting up God and he started lifting up himself. Remember what he did? You can go read about it. Second Kings or yeah, Second Kings, Second Chronicles. Remember what he did? He's doing all these great reforms. He was actually the longest king in, in, in uh, the tribe of Judah. Uh, he came, came to the throne at 16, and he was there till he was 68 when he died. But when he died, he was, co, he was co-king. His son was actually ruling. Why? Because he went into the temple, and he thought he could be the priest, and he thought he could burn incense. And the priest said, whoa, 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 and he stuck out. He said, arrest that man. And his arm turned leprous as he reached out to accuse God's man. Be careful who you're accusing. Be careful what you're saying about people. Be very careful. Because even if they say something bad or good or indifferent or they're your authority and you're talking about them and you're destroying them, listen, God allowed it. God allowed them to throw rocks at you. And they will reap what they sow. If you roll a stone, it'll be rolled back on you, the Proverbs tell us. But don't you try to bring vengeance upon somebody. What you should do is look beyond them and say, Lord, what are you saying about me? Just as David did when the kingdom was being stolen from him by Absalom. He said, if God allows him to throw rocks at him, let him throw rocks. And we're talking about a man that can kill ten thousands. And he didn't kill one that was throwing rocks. Power under control. Well, what was he learning? He was learning how to do that as his kingdom was being stolen. Was he still making mistakes? Yes, he was a really bad father. He wouldn't judge his kids and deal with his kids. So in the year that King Uzziah died, this is what we're seeing. Why, what's going on? Well, God already told them what was going to happen. They were going to go into captivity. He has said to them they should be repenting. They've seen the northern tribes. They know God is the God of His Word, that God is one day going to bring justice. He brought it in Christ, chapter 40. But if you don't receive that, then He has to bring it upon you. Because you're going there with your own filthy rags on. I saw the Lord. Who did? Isaiah did. Sitting on a throne. High and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. This is why he, he's, he's, he, this is why he confirmed their hearts. Listen to me. This is what they're telling us in John. So even though the nation's in turmoil, even though the king is dead, even though Isaiah's freaking out, Uzziah has been a stumbling block to him. So he's called in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his suffering, he's being ordained as a prophet by God. Quit looking at the conditions around you and look to God. But it took the death of the king and the destruction of the nation for him to cry out to God and to see the Lord. Wow, you're still on the throne. Uzziah's not on his. He died because all men are like grass. They're like the flower of the field. They're going to wither and God will breathe on them and they will blow away. But God's always on his throne. No matter what's going on in your life, God is on the throne. And you need to always see that he's on the throne. Because this will give you new understanding from an eternal perspective. It'll give you new direction. It'll actually bring you salvation. Watch this. He saw the king. He sees him. uh, sees the Lord high and lifted up. Jehovah. What do you see when you look at the world? What do you see when you look at your spouse? What do you see when you look at your boss? I'm smarter than them. I'm better than them. Are you lifting up yourself? 
Or when you see problems in life, when you see sin in life, do you look past them and see the Lord high and lifted up? Because He died for them. And He sent you to cry out to them. And to be a witness to them. And a representative to them. And an ambassador to them. What do you see? When bad things happen in your life. When the king is dead. Listen, unless you're dead, you're not going to see the Lord high and lifted up. You're going to keep lifting up yourself. You're going to keep lifting up your foot and kicking against the goads until you see your condition. And that's what's going to happen here. Uh, and, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Train. Where do we see that at? Oh boy, we don't see that at all unless we see it on brides today. That's a train that hangs behind them. And the longer the train, the more prettier the dress. God's train fills the temple. That's pretty awesome. Above it stood seraphim, fiery ones. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. Tell you a lot of stuff about it. Don't understand what's going on. But I know God gave him a couple wings to hide his face. A couple wings so that he wouldn't worry about what he was doing, but he would obey God by faith. A couple wings to hide his feet so he wouldn't walk and do what he wanted to do, but he would do what God did. And then he had a couple wings to go do what God told him to do. That's all I'm saying. I don't know what it is, but it's an angel. And you've been given free will. You can hear the voice of God and you can obey the voice of God and you can put your hands to the work of God. But if you keep doing what you believe in your mind, in your eyes, what you see by sight, if you keep following what you want to walk in and what you want to do, you're not going to serve God with your two hands, with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But anyway, seraphim, a lot, of, a lot of people want to do this. They want to worship angels. They want to talk about all this stuff. My Bible doesn't tell me enough about them to sit here and talk to you about them. So I'm just going to just go, okay, that's some hidden things that God has hidden on purpose. And he shows this stuff to us when we need to know it. But right now, one cried out to another. They're looking to each other, testifying and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Why three times? Because He's a Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One holy for each time. The whole earth is full of His glory. Not just the train of His robe fills the temple, but His majesty goes throughout the whole earth. This is what they're testifying. And the post of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, this is what we should say. This is what Isaiah said the day that he was called. The day that he was uh, uh, um, anointed to be a prophet to the nations and bring the word of God. Woe is me. He didn't wait for God to pronounce a woe on him. He pronounced one on himself. He knew where he was at. I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips where do lips come from what comes out of your lips the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks i'm a man of unclean lips and i dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips really in texas not you guys we're just talking about unrighteous people in texas today 
Not that all are unrighteous. You guys are fine. You guys just be still. You're good. No, he's talking about everybody. None righteous. No, not one. And yet we would be called to be a prophet to the nations, to foretell the word of God, to interpret the word of God, to listen to the spirit of God and equip the people of God for the glory of God. It's all going to happen, people. Listen to me. I'm getting a little excited here. I'm going to try to close this up. Why do you know that you have unclean lips, Isaiah? Because my eyes have seen the king. The more you see God, of God, of the majesty and the glory of God, when the man of God looks into the word of God and sees the son of God, he's transformed by the spirit of God into the image of God for the glory of God. When you are looking for Jesus beyond the problem, beyond the death, beyond the situation, and you're looking for God and you see the king, you remember that you unclean lips and all you have is the gospel. All you have is God to give to people. You don't have any counsel of your own. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, one of the fiery ones, having in his hand a live coal. God's a consuming fire. He uses fire, he uses pain, he uses these things to burn out the dross, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. Not one down here anymore, it's up there, it's in your heart. And he touched my mouth with it. Have you let God touch your mouth? And said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sins are purged. Salvation, washing, cleansing by the fire of God who is a consuming fire. Listen to me. He either consumes it now or you reap what you sow and maybe it'll be burned up in fire of hell and never go away. Or it'll be at the Bema Seat Judgment where we go on these little treadmills and he takes us through and everything that wasn't done from him is burned up. But you will be saved yet by fire. Paul says, at the Bema Seat, it's a place of rewards. Everything that was done in your life is burned up, but you get in by fire smelling like smoke because you didn't do nothing for God. You didn't turn your life over to God. You didn't surrender to God, even though you made a contract with God. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? His eyes go everywhere looking for people to send. And who will go for us? Elohim, plural, trinity of God. Then I said, here I am, send me. What have you said to God? Here I am, send Aaron. That's what Moses said when he seen God. Yeah, it's a fearful thing. But it's also a thing of blessing and great rewards and mercy and privilege. And he said, go and tell the people. Well, what will I tell them? This is his commission to go. You go. Jesus commissioned all of the church to go and make disciples. Keep on hearing and do not understand. Keep on seeing and do not perceive. Oh, he just said underneath the word of God. See, that's what parables are about. When Jesus was doing parables, he didn't want to harden the heart of the people listening because he knew they weren't going to obey. So he spoke in a parable. He threw it alongside, a story alongside the truth so that anybody wanted to draw near, anybody wanted to hear could come and go, hey, what was that about? See, when you draw near, you can have everything you want with God. But he also won't force himself. He'll stand at your door and knock and go, hey, I'm out here. But if you keep on hearing and don't understand and you keep on seeing and you do not perceive, 
eventually you won't be able to. You'll confirm your heart. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart. Notice that's the place. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. Proverbs 4.23 Guard your heart. That's what keep means. And return and be healed. Return. Be converted. Is what it means. You can read about it in Acts 3.19. It means to return. It means to turn around. It means to repent. It means uh, to come again to the house of God and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly destroyed, the Lord has removed men far away, and The forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, but yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming as terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be in its stump. I always tell people that's my tree right there. That's my genealogy. I come from a stump. By faith, through grace. By grace, through faith, I should say. Now you have to know that Uzziah has died, but Ahaz, his son, is king. And Ahaz is a proud man that won't ask God for help. And he's going to go into captivity. And God gives him a promise even when he won't ask for it. And it's 714. Therefore the Lord himself will give a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. This is, what, this is what John wants us to see in this text. And if we don't believe, if we don't listen, which is what the book is written for, then God one day is going to harden our heart. He's going to confirm our heart. He did it to his entire nation. But he hasn't written them off. Listen, he's going to bring them back. You can go back and read it. Romans 11. All of Israel will be saved. Back in our text, these things Isaiah said when he saw, because he saw the glory, because he saw God's glory and spoke of him. When you see God, do you speak of him? Nevertheless, even the rulers, many believed that that trusted him. Because see, listen, today we've got a gospel of believing, but no commitment. But because, but is the word Allah. If you guys want to remember that in the Greek, it's the word Allah. Because of the Pharisees, that's the separate ones, they did not confess, they did not agree, they did not commit. This is the marriage ceremony. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. So they they were afraid of being excommunicated. So there was no action on their belief. I don't want to be talked about. I don't want them to treat me the way they did Jesus. See, many people believe in Jesus, but there's no agreement with his word. There's no confession. There's no crying out. There's no going out and doing what he did and say, repent, make straight the way of the Lord. There's nobody doing that. And that's the commitment of marriage. I want to be like my husband. 
I want to do what he's doing. He's making me like him. He's leading me. He's providing me. He died for me. Because we want the praise of men, the accolades of men. And if we serve men, can't serve God. You'll never see past. You'll always be mad. Somebody would have always done something to you. Look to please God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. For you first must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you fulfill it. You supply it. You perfect it. You uncover it. Lord, please don't harden our hearts. Help us to surrender to you, to receive you, to confess you, to cry out, not to be insultive and sailors, Lord, but to cry out so that you will say one day, enter into the joy of the Lord when you glorify us in heaven with you at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Pour out your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Desire.